If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5. We are moving into Luke 5 tonight and talking about Jesus' disciples. Does everybody have a handout? Everybody got one? It helps if you have your Bible, but if you don't, that's okay, because I put a lot of it up here on the screen. Um, Following Christ's command, going beyond the uh, expected. And this is kind of what the title is for this week. Jesus finds more followers. I think I'm in your way. I'm sorry. Let me get out of the way. Jesus finds more followers, not the ones you might expect. And this seems to be a story that Jesus uh, constantly does, is that he, he gets followers they may not be the ones that you think uh, would be there. So let's, let's talk about, uh, let's get an introduction here. Let's talk about some questions to start off. And then I uh, want to get your input a lot. I want to talk through this kind of like we did last week. Talk through some of these uh, pa- passages of Scripture. And I think we'll have a very fruitful discussion. As we start this, let's look at a couple questions here. Who can be a follower of Jesus? Anyone. Anyone, right? Do you have to be a certain ethnicity? <laughs> Do you have to have a certain family background? Do you have to be healthy? You should. <laughs> you should be healthy. Oh, yeah, okay. you have to be good looking? Albert smiles real big. He's like, I know I'm good looking. I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> that's, that's the look he gave me. Um, on a side note, this occurred to me today. Uh, as, I was, as I was, actually not today, yesterday. As I was studying this. What's the difference between following Jesus around and following Jesus? Because there are some people in the stories today who follow Jesus around. Okay? But they're not followers. Yes. And the Pharisees and the scribes in this story. They're, they're critical of Jesus. And they follow Jesus around. But they're definitely not followers of Jesus. You know what I mean by that? Like, have, Mm-hmm. Or, well, so, yeah, or what? I said it's like the intent of the following. What are their intentions? Yeah, and I'm not asking you to really answer these completely right now. I'm just, I'm just planting some ideas in your head as we go into this. I want you to think about this kind of stuff. Because um, I think it will help kind of set the, set the stage where we're going. So first scene we've got here, and we need some people to help read this. I know this might be hard to read, but it's on your sheet. Can someone read for us? Um, the first thing we're going to see is the healing of a leper. Now, we're not talking about a leopard. Um, most everybody knows, I think everybody knows what a leper is, but a leprosy was a kind of skin disease that was very uh, contagious. Um, and they had leper colonies and things like that, uh, where they would sequester people away from general populace so they wouldn't spread the uh, disease. So who would like to read? Who can use their nice, strong voice? Albert, you want to read? Uh, go ahead and read up, say, 12 through 16. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, before he proved to them. But now even more... The report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would, but he would withdraw himself to desolate place, places and pray. Okay, so what do y'all know about leprosy besides what I just said? Anything in particular? It's fatal. It's fatal. Yeah. 
There is some there is some disagreement on this. Actually, I did some research today, and all the work I found tended to dis to disassociate what we think of today as leprosy from the biblical leprosy. Um, you know, today's leprosy, there's leprosy where your fingers like fall off and your skin deteriorates. That might have been some of this, but this also was more likely, uh, I think I even put a footnote down there. There's some um, uh, human diseases covering like psoriasis, lupus, ringworm, things like that, where it's a, a nasty disfigurement. The main problem from what I can tell of this leprosy wasn't necessarily only the, the, the physical problems that associated with it, but what, what else? It's super contagious, so they would be sequestered. They'd be sent away. So a person who's a leper, what would you say their social life is like? Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. Other lepers, right? So actually, I, I put there, Jesus accepts disciples who are social outcasts. You see that? I don't know if there's a blank for you to fill in or not. But Jesus accepts disciples who are social outcasts. There was actually a story that was done. You know, they um, there used to be leper colonies, even in the U.S., where people would be in they were required to be in like a hospital or something for their whole life because they had leprosy and they weren't allowed to go into the public. That's, that's happened. Um, so let's look at this. Became a man full of leprosy. Oh, full of it. Okay, he doesn't just have a little bit. He's full of it. When he saw Jesus, what does he do? Okay, what does that indicate? He's desperate, yes. But more than just desperate. What? Somebody was saying something. Yes. Remember we talked about last week about Peter? We talked about Peter falling at Jesus' knees and saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And, and Peter's recognition of Jesus as the Christ is worship of Jesus, falling down at his feet. So this is huge. Fell on his face before Jesus, and he does what? That's a good, that's a good translation. Begs him. He asks him. He, he implores him. He, he does everything he can to get Jesus' attention. Um... Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Okay, let's stop there for a second. What are other, you remember any other stories in the New Testament of people who were healed? Um, maybe a woman with, uh, there's, there's Luke chapter 8, which we'll get to later. Woman with an issue of blood for 12 years. What does she do to be healed by Jesus? She goes up behind Jesus and she grabs his cloak, right? Right, and we're going to get to that story. That's, such, that's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. And does, does the leper do something like that? Does the leper have any, any thought? I, I just want to point out something I think is so tremendous. What does Jesus do? He did what? He touched a leper. Think, just think about that. Jesus... This guy did not jump at Jesus and grab him. He did not try to grab his cloak. He did not try to do anything. He said he stayed, he saw him and he fell down and he, he like he didn't go up to him. He kind of fell down from a little bit of a distance. He says, you know, if you will, you can heal me. I, you know, just and Jesus goes and stretches out his hand. So Jesus takes the initiative. He reaches out to this guy and touches him, saying, I will be clean. <coughs> Jesus is looking for people to follow him, and even those who are socially outcast. This guy had no thought about, um, in fact, I think in the Old Testament, they were required to like walk around and say, unclean, unclean. They were, had to tell people that they were unclean. They couldn't, they had, were ceremonially unclean, and Jesus touches him. 
I, I want to really emphasize this, and I think you're getting, this is a huge deal that Jesus would do such a thing, to defile himself by touching an unclean person. And he says, I will be clean. And what happens? Immediately, right? The leprosy left him. So, um, let me see, I had some questions here. Uh, just roll like this. What kind of sickness did he have? What would have been the cultural problems he would have faced? Because we already talked about that. If you want to read up on this, I think I put this in a footnote. Leviticus 13 and 14. Who was I talking? I was talking to you about Leviticus. We were talking about Leviticus. And if you want to read uh, Leviticus 13 and 14, talks about skin diseases. That's a great thing to read early, first thing in the morning <laughs> while you're having your cereal. It's talking about uh, whether these skin diseases, if it has a hair that turns white, and it t- it's gross. It's not something you really want to read that often, but it's, it's God's word and he lays out uh, the precautions that a nation would take to avoid the spreading of these skin diseases. Um, so this guy would have been removed. So how did the man respond to Jesus? Well, he fell on his face. He worshipped. He begged him. He didn't ask him to touch him, just to heal. stretched out his hand and touched the sick man. Jesus stretched out his hand. The leper wasn't up close, personal. He didn't touch Jesus like the woman does in eight. I think Jesus is constantly shocking culture. He's constantly um, doing this. One more thing here. Jesus shows compassion to that sick man. Let me ask you a question. If you're going to follow Jesus and be a disciple like Christ, who are the people who are the socially outcasts who you'd rather not be around. You don't have to answer that, but just think in your head. We've all been around in certain situations where somebody makes you uncomfortable, whatever. Uh, Jesus had compassion on the sick man. I find that to be just amazing. Um, Let's go back to our text here. Any comments or questions so far? Yeah. Double characteristic he shows of, of, of humility, but boldness. Yeah. And, and realizing this is my circumstance, this is my state, and Christ has ability. And so he comes humbling himself more, but at the same time bold enough to look at it. It reminds me of the passage in a Hebrew talk about how we can come boldly. Hebrews chapter 10. Yeah. I am so far less than, than, than Christ. I mean, he, the leper man may not have known that he was going to be his Messiah. But he knew that this man was not like the average Hebrew walk around that day. Right. And, and there's a double humility but boldness to show that it wasn't the arrogance that I don't think it was about. Right. But yet he was still very, very confident that Jesus had a power to heal him, whether or not he would. As he says, if you will, if you want to, you can do this, but you don't have to. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredible to see what Jesus did with this man. Let's keep going. Any, co- any comments, questions? Oh, what a great story. What a fantastic story. But there's another one. And this one, sorry, I skipped through all this. We just did this. Uh, the news of Jesus spread far and wide. He became more popular and less able to have private time. I think this is something very important. What did Jesus do while the crowds tried to gather around him? Did you notice this in your, in your scripture? What did it say he did? Did you get to that part? He what? Yeah, uh, in verse 16. 
Uh, even even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and healed of their infirmities, and, but he would withdraw to desolate places, the desert, the wilderness, and pray. In the middle of all this, tum- all this excitement, he, what, he went to pray. So what was his priority? Talking to God. Even in his most popular uh, of times, he's being, you know, has throngs of people around him. Um, let's look at the next story. There's stories right after this one. And we got, uh, let's have somebody else read this for us, and then we'll get talking. Jacob. One of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles and through the mist before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. Okay, so what do we have here? What's going on? Where is he, well, uh, what is he doing? Where is he teaching? What's, what's going on where he's teaching? Huh? He's in a house, right? And who is with him? Okay, so you got Pharisees and teachers who are like the scribes. Oops, sorry. I should pick it up. You have teachers and Pharisees. And what do y'all know about Pharisees? Pharisees are the uh, are like the um, they're a religious group. But you have to. They were the people's people. They were the people's religious group. They were the people. Uh, they represented the people. They weren't the elites. They they although we tend to think of them as elites, they were self righteous. Yes, but they were more of people, like of the people. Where Sadducees would have been more of the elites. Pharisees would have been more of the people. And the teachers of the law, they were sitting, the lawyers were sitting there. They had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was upon Jesus to heal. And he runs to an obstacle. What's the obstacle? So describe in your own words what happens. Give me some pictures. He paralyzed. So it's such a crowd of people that they can't get in to be close to Jesus. They want Jesus to see this man to heal him. So what do they do? They get a little creative. They put him up on the roof. They, can you imagine the, the climb up on the roof? Can you imagine that? Hang on. Here we go. <laughs> Got to get him up there. And then they do what? They start tearing the roof off. They dig into the roof. Remove the tiles or whatever it is, the, the clay there. They dig into the roof. The, the roofs up there weren't pitched like ours are. Now the lot of times they were flat uh, in the Middle East. And so they climb up there and they dug and then they let them down with some rope or something. That's some creativity. Uh... This was a guy who had friends. And his friends loved him. Friends wanted to get him there. Uh, he was paralyzed. They were seeking to bring him to lay him before Jesus, finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. They do all this. And when he saw their faith, what does he say? What does he say? I underline it. Your sins are forgiven you. That seems kind of strange. In fact, there's a whole argument about it. Once the man is healed, how do the religious leaders... Respond to this. It's a question. What do you think? What do they do? It's right up here. The scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So Jesus forgives his sins. And who's, who, who forgives sins but God alone when Jesus perceived their thoughts? So what, what happens? Talk to me. Pharisees start questioning who it was. Or, I mean, what it says, who can forgive sins but God alone? Yeah. Yeah, 
well, they don't believe he's God. They, they, they're really curious. Remember, they said the difference between following Jesus around and following Jesus? Right, they're being, they're being really critical of Jesus. They're saying, who is this? Who does he think he is? He's saying, you can forgive sins. Who, who in the world does this guy say he is? He's speaking blasphemy. What is a blasphemy? Many, some of you know, but some of you might, might not know. What is a blasphemy? Using God's name, like, inappropriately. Yeah, using God's name inappropriately. Um, claiming you can do something only God can do. Putting yourself in the place of God. I mean, that's what he was doing. By saying, who can forgive sins but God alone? And it's like Jesus says, yeah. I mean, that's the point. Why do you question your hearts, Jesus? This is what's so interesting. So this is going on. Can you imagine thinking this thought? Can you imagine thinking, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus looks at you and he says, why are you thinking that? Did you notice that? Did you see it? Look what, look what happens. Wait, did he read their mind? Yes, look. He perceived their thoughts. So you know what's going on in their minds. It's happened several times in the Bible. Jesus, it says someone thought something and Jesus responds. Like, can you imagine sitting there thinking, like I'm looking at Joseph and I'm thinking, you know, poor fella, you know, he just can't high break. He's had a rough, rough day, you know, you can just tell. And he looks at me and he says, why are you thinking that about me? And I get all freaked out because I'm thinking, here I was thinking these mean thoughts towards him. I wasn't. He's a nice guy. Great guy. And, uh, but I was thinking these thoughts and he immediately perceived what I was thinking. It wasn't just a facial action. Some of you guys, I, I can tell what you're thinking because you're a facial thing. When I'm preaching sometimes on Sunday, it's hilarious. People, people will give really funny facial expressions. You'll say something, some people go, what? Like they'll literally like crinkle up their nose and be like, what? Like where did that come from? That's when you know I made a mistake. What did I say? You immediately start thinking, what did I, you know, did I make a mistake? It wasn't that kind of thing. Jesus perceived their thoughts and he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? And Jesus likes to play games with those who aren't committed to him. Um, let me see here. Uh, so, but, the, but that you may know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And what happened? Here's our word again. Immediately, what happened? He rose before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home. Doing what? So what's the focus? Afterwards, he's able to glorify God. What does the word glorify mean? It means to make big. He gives God all of the credit. And amazement sees them all. They were glorifying God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Pretty awesome. Very awesome. So we have this physically sick. What's, how would, so the first guy I'd say was, had social, he was socially outcast. What would you say about this guy? Jesus accepts disciples who what? Limited by their physical, physical limit. Yeah, physical limitations. Uh, all of us are physically limited, but some more than others. I've known people who have major problems physically. They have, uh, you know, maybe they can't walk. Maybe they can't um, go under a lot of stress. Maybe they have all kinds of issues where they, you know, have struggles. Jesus is looking for all kinds of people just like that. So we have one last section here, and that starts in verse 27. So here's what we got. <clears throat> the second scene. We have not only the physically sick, we have the spiritually sick. There's a guy named Levi. Does anybody know who Levi ends up being? 
Yeah, the Gospel of Matthew was written by Levi, also named Matthew. So we are going to see what's going on here. Um, Jesus accepts this lastly, disciples who are outcasts due to spiritual failure. This guy was an outcast. Talk to me about um, what you know about, or somebody read this first, then we'll talk about what that means. Who would like to read? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Who is Jesus with? He's been, he's got crowds around him. Who's with him? Sinners. Sinners, right? But before before that, he's also got who else with him? His own disciples. Remember, like Simon Peter and all those guys. He's got Pharisees and, and teachers and lawyers and all these kind of people with him too, because they've been following him around. One thing we don't really uh, uh, take for take understand quite as easily today is that in the ancient culture it take a long time for me to get some, if I was a teacher let's say I was a teacher and you were my disciples right and you're following me around and we'd walk and I'd have a trail of people kind of like you know how rock groups have groupies you know you know I'm talking about they have people that follow them everywhere well in the ancient culture in the ancient world wherever a teacher would go he'd have people who would follow him and and he'd also have people who were just observing so you'd have this whole trail of people just walking along in our in our world you can't really do that because you, you drive cars everywhere so if I go to meet somebody for lunch, I jump in my car, I have like, I'm by myself, I drive. These guys, they were always with Jesus. Jesus was never by himself unless he went to the wilderness like we talked about earlier. But here he goes, you got all these people around him. What do you know about Pharisees? Are they like smart? Are they stupid? Are they religious? Are they not religious? They're probably very smart and super religious. In fact, today we say, if somebody says you're being a Pharisee, what does that mean? Somebody accuses you of being a Pharisee. You ever heard that before? It means you're being super strict in everything. Oh, you're just such a Pharisee. It means all you're thinking about is your outward appearance. Never heard that before? Well, maybe in some churches they use that word more than others. Okay. But uh, he has all these people around him who are smart, well-educated, well-qualified, professionals. Like, they know their stuff. And where does Jesus go? He goes and he went and he saw a tax collector named Levi. What do you know about tax? Excuse me, tax collectors. They're characterized. Why, why would they characterize as a liar? Do you know? Yeah, so how would a tax collector make his money? He would overcharge. We know that also from Zacchaeus. Remember the song about Zacchaeus from Sunday school? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Yeah. Uh, the little guy who climbs up in a sycamore tree to see Jesus. We're not going to sing it. No, I started, but we're not going to finish. Yeah. Uh, Levi's the tax, tax collectors are not very well liked. Right? They didn't have a lot of oversight. They were allowed to overcharge. And so they would. They would overcharge people and they would keep what they got. And he's sitting at the tax booth. So he's like doing his job. It's like the least desirable person in the least desirable place. And what does Jesus do? He, he, he calls for him to follow him. How does he respond? Yeah, he, he does it. He leaves everything and follows him. He is he, he's overwhelmed by Jesus and he leaves everything. He rose and followed him. He left all of his money. Well, who, else, who else left something? We talked about this last week. Remember this? Simon Peter in the great catch of fish. What happened? 
Jesus called for them to follow him. What do they leave behind? Well, yes, but let's list it out. The families? Their boats? <laughs> Their nets? All the fish that they had just caught? They left everything and they followed Jesus. Simon, I mean, uh, Levi leaves everything and follows him. So how would the average person have seen a tax collector? What would they have thought about him? Corrupt. Corrupt. The worst of the worst. I, I was, as I was doing this, I thought uh, the best analogy I could think of, I don't know if I put it in here. Um, yeah, a repo man. A repo man is like the repossession man. So if your car, if you own a lot of money on your car and you don't pay, the repo man comes and takes your car from you. Or the eviction guy. Or the... The eviction cop or something. I don't know. Something where, you know, you take stuff from people. That's the best I could come up with. I don't Is anybody's dad a repo man? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but the idea, the idea here is that, you know, you look at me like, oh. Or it's like, I, you know, I pulled in today uh, and there are cops out in the parking lot. Did y'all see that? There are cops in the, in the parking lot out here. They went through cops. They're writing a lot of tickets. Because a lot of Winthrop students are parking in visitor parking. Yay! <laughs> so, the, so I have a hard time finding parking because I come in and there's like Winthrop stickers all up and down. I'm like, ah. But, yeah. Yeah. So, um, what does Jesus say by calling Levi to be his follower? He accepts the bad people. But yeah, but we're all that, yeah. He accepts us where we are. Or he calls us from where we are. That might be a better way of putting it. He calls us, he doesn't just leave us there, because we're going to see that in a second. Jesus doesn't just leave us sick. He takes us to the next step. This is really encouraging, because some of us have this, have this complex. We think of ourselves as being like not worthy of being a real follower of Jesus. We think of ourselves in one way or another as being, whether, I don't know what, what your situation is, but I've talked to many people who just don't think of themselves as being able to be a Christ follower in the truest sense of the word. But Christ is more interested in a person's willingness to admit need and be humble about their sin rather than the people who pretend to have it all together. You see that? So my question, are, are, you, are you like Levi? Are you willing to, to leave it all and follow Jesus? Levi doesn't say, you know, I got everything, I got everything figured out. I'm not going to go anywhere. He is, Jesus is very interested in a person's willingness to admit need and be humble. Rather than a people who pretend to have it all together. I kind of put myself in the, in the shoes of the, of the teachers and the, and the Pharisees who were sitting there watching Jesus do this. And... Uh, they're like, why didn't he call me to follow? I mean, I'm following him around. Why can't, I, why can't he call me to be one of his disciples? I'm way smarter than that. He's a tax collector. He's got a lot of baggage in his past. People are going to hate him. Does Jesus know what kind of walls he's building here by getting these kind of people on his, in his group? Does he have any idea the problems he's going to have down the road when people remember what Levi did to them? What they forget is that Jesus is going to transform our life. And down the road when people meet Levi and he cheated them before, they're going to be amazed at how much Levi has changed. Because it doesn't just stop there. Unless you're willing to admit you need a Savior, you cannot be saved. Unless you're willing to admit your weakness, you can't be helped. Jesus says as much in the next section. So the big question, 
what's the difference between a person who follows Jesus around and a person who follows Jesus? Well, a person who follows Jesus knows they need a Savior and leans on him to be that Savior, right? Let's look at this last section, and then um, we'll pretty much be done. So what does Levi do? Who wants to read this section? What does Levi do next? This is really interesting. Somebody who hasn't read yet. All right, thank you. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So Levi invites his friends. You see this? (laughs) There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. Levi invites his friends, throws a big free feast for Jesus. Why is this a problem? For the for the uh, religious people. Yeah, it's like, why are you with these people? Why are you with this crowd, right? These tax collectors are wicked. These tax collectors are evil. Look at all they've done. Uh, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. At his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? How does Jesus answer? I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Is Jesus saying that the, uh, that the, People here, the Pharisees and the scribes, aren't in need of salvation? Okay. No, they're just self-righteous. What's the problem with self-righteousness? It doesn't do anything for you. Right? They're sick and they don't know it. I wonder how many of us are sick and we don't know it. You know, we're, we're in bad shape, but we don't know it. We pretend like we're good. You ever know anybody like that? They pretend like they're all got it all buttoned up. They're all good. They're all straight. There are no problems here. Jesus says, I'm not interested in that person. I'm interested in the person who is sick because I have come to heal the sinner. Um, there is an interesting uh, par- parable at the end of this story. I say they're self-righteous. They're the kind of righteous that doesn't give them any benefit at all. I think, yeah, I have these here. They were considered dirty sinners. Who needs Jesus? Everybody. Who is truly sick? Everybody. All right, that's the end of my slideshow. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the last section. I have one more thing I didn't put on there. I don't know if we're going to get there or not. But there's an interesting parable at the end of this chapter, or the end of this section, that I think will give us some more insight into what Jesus is doing. All right, and we're almost done, I promise you. And then I'll take some... um, any comments or questions or anything? Uh, chapter 5 in verse... I'm in the wrong section. Wrong section. Alright, so I'm going to read, starting in verse 36, and I want you to tell me what you think this means. I'll take the best guess you got, alright? Because this is kind of tricky. Starting in verse 36, it's not on the screen. He was telling them a parable. Now, what's a parable? 
It's a story, a metaphorical story, an analogy. Yeah, okay. He tells him a parable. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he would both tear the new piece and the piece from the new would not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and will be spilled out and the skins will be ruined. The new wine must be put into fresh wine skins. And no one after drinking old wine wishes for new, for he says, the old is good enough. Does that sound like a confusing, confusing parable? A little bit. <laughs> Give it your best shot. What do you think he's What do you think he's saying? Okay. Being open. That's pretty, hey, that's not bad. Being willing to be challenged, being open to new ideas. Yeah, Grace? Is it like you either have the old or you have the new, you can't have both? Okay, so the picture is this. If you have a new shirt and you have an old shirt and the old shirt has a hole in it, you don't tear the new shirt and patch up the old shirt with the new cloth. Because then what happens if you had a new cloth uh, in, in ancient, and everything now is pretty shrunk, but in the ancient world, you know, in, if you do your own clothes, you'll notice that cloth shrinks, and so it would shrink, and it ruined both of them. You've ruined the new one by tearing a hole in it and using it for a patch, and you ruined the old one by, by not doing the patch right. So that doesn't work. He says you don't put uh, new wine into old wineskins because what happened is as the wine would ferment as it would do its thing, the old wineskins would burst because they weren't ready to handle it. They wouldn't stretch. And he says, then he makes an interesting point. He says no one, how does he say it? I had to read it exactly right. Um, no one after drinking old wishes for new, for he says the old is good enough. No one likes change. People don't like change, yeah? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Maybe a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Here's what I think he's doing. Here's what I think he's doing. I think he's saying this. My disciples, I cannot communicate my message through the old system. The old system would have been who? Scribes, the Pharisees, the old, 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 all the old. I, I think he's particularly talking about people here because notice he's talking about, especially when he uses the idea of, of what if something containing like the skins. You see this? And so he says, um, he's not going to, the reason he's collecting these disciples that we've talked about, people like the guy who, who has leprosy, people like the guy who, who uh, is a tax collector, people like the guy who was lame, these are, these are uh, followers of Jesus. And he's doing these miracles. The reason he's doing this is because his message is different. And it's going to communicate. And it's going to be terrific. In fact, if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 2, uh, and Jesus uh, is, is speaking, actually Jesus has gone and the, the, Peter is speaking at, the, uh, at Pentecost. And uh, I find it interesting that you know, Luke wrote both Peter, I'm sorry, Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and Acts. And in, Luke, and in Acts chapter 2, verse 13... Um, or verse 12, they all continued in amazement with great perplexity, saying one another, what does this mean? They're watching uh, all the people speak in their own tongues. Others were mocking, verse 13, and they were saying what? They're full of sweet wine. 
They're mocking the apostles saying that they're drunk. And Jesus here says, I'm going to use my disciples to do great things. And so what happens here, he says, you can get used to the old. I'm going to use great things. I'm going to do different things. So let me challenge you on this. This is really where this is all coming from. Jesus, when he gets disciples, he gets them from all over the place. And you might have always thought of yourself as one of those people who just is like not up to, you might see a pastor or you might see a missionary or you might see somebody out there who's like, wow, that person's really doing great things for God. I'm just little on me. I, I don't have the skills. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the abilities. Maybe I'm limited by my physical strength or physical abilities. Maybe I'm limited by my social uh, standing. I, I just, for some reason, am an outcast or whatever the situation is. Jesus doesn't care. He reaches all people and he reaches out to all kinds of people and he wants to use people like you do great things for him and great thing he'll do great things through you and i i am just i i found this to be one of the more encouraging of all passages jesus finds lots of followers but not the ones you might think he doesn't always go for the smartest the best looking the strongest he uses people where he can get the glory just like we said he often uses the underdog to achieve his 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 will does that make sense that's such a it's such a really cool passage i know it was a little different tonight but uh, I, hope, I hope this is encouraging to you guys. And uh, any questions or anything, anything not make sense? All right, we're going to close the word of prayer. Hang out as long as you want. Thanks so much for coming tonight. We're really glad to have you all. And I hope to get to meet those of you who are new. Great to see you and um, get to talk to you later. Lord, thank you so much for the time we spent tonight in your word. I pray you'd help us to just have a great evening and a great week as we uh, reflect on these things. Help us to be disciples, true disciples who follow you. No matter, don't let these things hold us back doubts you might have about our own abilities, Lord, help those to go away because we know that you can use anybody, no matter what our trouble is, no matter what our difficulty, no matter what our, our um, infirmity or, or weakness, Lord, you, you can use any of those things. You can heal us and you can take us to the next level. You can help us be disciples of you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, have a great night.